TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my Steam co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I I don't want to have to talk so loud, so if you could just stop playing that harmonica. Uh, what'd you say, Chris? I, I mean, I like it, but it's a little bit loud. Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I, I, I you know, I was uh, off duty and, uh, you know, that's just like, that's how I like to spend my time. All, all Southerners, we, we just like to play the harmonica <laughs> on our time off, you know, feet propped up on the desk and, you know, just nothing better than playing for yourself. <laughs> Isn't that how it comes across, right? Because we are both Southerners and mm-hmm. Trip's supposed to be from Florida, which is if you're from the South, you know, it's kind of a different world from the rest of the South. And yet there is like this presentation of him as, yeah, he's a Southerner. So got to hang out here and play me some harmonica. You know, that's that's right. Just as a, <laughs> a uh, audience of one. So audience of one. But but I have to say, I do love the fact that we have a Star Trek episode that just opens with harmonica and a star field behind it. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Yeah, I. It's uh, you know, it is a, a very nice beginning to the episode. So, <laughs> to the episode, which is widely panned by so many fans and the writers themselves, but I know is one of your favorite episodes. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be a, a you know, uh, a negative Nancy here, but I think that they're all wrong. Um, so we'll, I guess we'll probably get into that as we start talking about the episode. We, we sure will. So before we do that, yes, everyone, we are talking about the episode Precious Cargo. This is the 11th episode of season two as we continue our 20th anniversary rewatch. And here's a quick rundown of the story. A distress call leads to one of the most troubling events one can imagine. The interruption of Trip Tucker's harmonica time. But what he finds aboard the Retellian freighter sets him on a path of adventure that more than makes up for the musical malady. Scraping the frost off a stasis pod reveals a woman. The first monarch of the sovereign dynasty of Creos Prime, in fact. And she's been kidnapped. Can Trip save the day? You bet he can. But it might require a good roll in the mud. So, Matthew, I mentioned that you love this episode, so just kick us off with why you love this episode. In a nutshell. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, the thing that I really enjoy about this episode is that it, it's it's kind of the perfect vehicle for fun here in, in Enterprise, uh, but it's also the perfect vehicle for, you know, Trip Tucker as a character, and this is very much, I would say, his, you know, Han Solo type episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, and and Trip is very much that type of character in, in the first place, and so I think they... They understood that with him uh, as a character, 
And I think it works here in all honesty. And, and the episode is fun and light and silly. Uh, and it is very much, you know, um, exactly what you would want from, from, I think, a, a Trip Tucker episode. And it, it um, I think the other thing about this is, is that it kind of lets you in on the fact that the universe is a, is a little bit darker even though this is such yeah. a fun episode, I mean, we're literally doing an episode about somebody who's been kidnapped and is going to be like ransomed, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, abducted. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you know we we do get a taste of the fact that yeah, there is a darker side to the universe, even in such a silly episode. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you actually about the Trip Tucker part, and that's something that. Watching it originally, and maybe some years later, I was too focused on, well, a couple of elements. One, the nature of the story itself, and also maybe the just terrible acting by Padma Lakshmi, which I've actually come around a little bit on this week as I've rewatched this quite a few times. But you mentioned this is like Trip Tucker's Han Solo episode. And I agree, but I've always thought of it more after I started paying attention to the character element as his Lone Star episode, because it has a kind of a space balls feel to it. <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to put it. <laughs> Lone Star, who else would give me the raspberry jam? Um, yes, uh, no, you're absolutely right. This is very much like that. And, and I think the whole thing is kind of akin to... The classic, it happened one night relationship, right, yeah, between right. Uh, a, a female and a male character where, you know, they hate each other at the beginning and they like each other at the end. And it's their uh, crazy, wacky adventure that brings them together and helps them understand one another. And, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of really nice, I think, character moments, you know, um, the fact that uh, Kaitama, uh, you know, admits to the fact that in, in many ways her life is lonely. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's training to to be this first monarch, and it's 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 just a it's a very lonely life. You know, she she has no one around her but advisors. She doesn't have anybody who really cares about her in a very personal way, and so this is the first time where not only is she around somebody who's not deferential towards her in any way um but she i think for the first time just kind of gets to discover what it means to be herself uh and so you know all of that stuff is is again it's such a classic trope you know again going all the way back to it happened one night this is playing off all of those ideas and and to me this is if you're going to do this, you do want Connor Trenier doing that. I think he does it so well. And to me, Padma Lakshmi is a, is a, is a good person to play the other side of that, which is, you know, the highfalutin snooty, you know, all of those type of things, uh, character. And as the episode unwinds, you know, you get her, uh, loosening up and, you know, by the very end you have that scene, of them, you know, on Enterprise. And it's it's just this kind of like really sweet, like she is 
a different person for her experience mm-hmm. with Trip. And, you know, that's that's kind of a fun thing to to watch. Yeah. Yeah, at the end, you've got that scene where they're like the two high school kids who met on the trip to the beach in the summer, and they promise they're going to yeah. see each other. But, you know, they're probably not because uh, Creos Prime is a long way away. Yeah, well, and, and it is uh, it is something to which it would have been, I think, like if you had wanted to write a Enterprise book, you know, it would have been pretty interesting to have Enterprise invited to her ascension mm-hmm. somewhere here in episode, uh, season two uh, time frame, you know, so yeah. if somebody wants to go back and write that book, I'd read it. Um, I think that would be kind of an, a fun thing. Yeah. So, well, you know, fun fact, the planet that she's from is the same planet that we see in the perfect mate in the next generation. Yes. Yep. And in between this time and then the Klingons conquer the planet, make it a colony. Then there's a conflict between Creos prime and neighboring planet, mm-hmm. which is what, yep. um, the perfect mate is about. So there is a lot of material there that you could work with if you wanted to write not only one book, but actually uh, have her be a recurring character and having her culture be a recurring element in stories. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting because obviously the novels had visited the time after enterprise pretty substantially, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, because it's a part of the literary universe. There is a place where I think if you wanted to go back and to fill in those gaps with a new set of novels or something like that, you could absolutely do it. And I mean, you know, uh, even, even, um, even if you just wanted to continue to follow up on what they had done novel wise, it's like, it would be really interesting. Cause you know, trip spoiler alert comes back to life and, you know, not really because he was never really dead. Um, and it'd just be interesting to see like a storyline where, you know, I know he ends up with T'Pol and everything, but it would be fascinating that he gets a message from her needing help on Creos Prime and she knows she can trust him. It's not about mm-hmm. a relationship. It's just about, you know, and so, you know, I, there's there's so much you could do there. But yeah, I think this is one of those things where it, it if you had had more seasons of Enterprise, you could have maybe followed up with an interesting story about Creos Prime yeah, right. that involved, again, that same type of story for Trip, even though him and T'Pol probably would have been together by that point anyway. It just would have been an interesting story to follow up on. And it's one of those things where, you know, I know a lot of people hate this episode, but, you know, you can still use story elements from episodes people didn't like to create great stories. Yeah, right. You mentioned that Connor Trenier is the perfect person to have playing this part and the character of Trip. And sometimes I think about the story as one that could work for Riker, but I think you're right mm-hmm. in that Trip is a better choice because Trip has this boyish nature to him that Riker doesn't, which makes a story like this a bit more playful as opposed to it being uh, maybe too much on the romance side, which is maybe how a Riker story might play out. Yeah, I think, 
you know, you kind of nailed it when you said space balls. Yeah. I mean, because that's exactly the type of story that we're getting. Um, you know, you, you do have uh, that type of romantic type story, but it's lighthearted and everything. And I, I think there's just something like, I don't know what the ages are of Connor and Frakes when they started relative shows, but I could see this being like first season TNG with that Riker. Yeah. yeah. Without the beard. Yeah. You know, right. um, but I, I think once Frakes, uh, you know, the character literally grows the beard. I think there's more serious nature to him. Whereas in those first couple of seasons before that, or at least the first season without the beard, he just, there's something different uh, about him. And of course they, they do kind of play with this with him as well. That kind of, you know, you, you might get lucky every time you meet a pretty girl and and, at the next port that that's kind of his role. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, trip kind of plays that role here we even kind of make fun of it with Hoshi, uh, you know, kind of ribbing him a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, I, what's funny is that these situations just kind of fall into his lap. It's not like he goes looking for them, right? You know? Right. Getting pregnant, growing a nipple on his wrist, finding a beautiful woman frozen in a cargo container. I mean, these things happen to people, right? I mean, you know, it's not like uh, he went out looking for somebody who needed help. They're the ones who asked for it for him. It just happened to be a beautiful woman. Right. I mean, he was perfectly happy playing his harmonica. I, I, you know, it, it, it could have been a Tellarite in there for all he knew. <laughs> but my point is true. He was interrupted. His harmonica session was interrupted so he could come check this out. And that's when he found her. That's right. That's right. So, you know, you just never know. Uh, yeah. Apparently, harmonica playing leads to good things. That's the lesson we learned from this episode. <laughs> that, so that is the moral of the story. That's the lesson yeah. of Precious Cargo. <laughs> so another thing I love about this episode is it takes me back to my childhood love of the Muppets, because when they finally escape down to the planet, Whenever I watch it, I have to yell, pigs in space! Because doesn't that ship look just (laughs) like the ship from Pigs in Space? It does. It does look very similar. Um, I think one of the things that the the episode actually does pretty well is the whole situation that they have in the escape pod where it's really not made for two people. And so the uncomfortable nature of that. And I, every time I watch this, all I can think of is I wonder how many days of the shooting schedule they had to be in that situation Mm -hmm. together because as, as frustrating as it is for the characters themselves, it had to be the same way for the actors. And you just, you, you would have just had to, like let go of being uh, either claustrophobic or in each other's personal bubble mm-hmm. every every moment because you know they they play it really well because the way that that's constructed there's no space uh, and so it's it's really not even acting <laughs> at that point they just are in each other's personal bubble <laughs> yeah right right it's kind of like uh, being on a commuter train in Tokyo. Uh, yeah, but with a or, lot of, you know, subway in New York at rush hour, you know, a hundred percent, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, and 
you know, I think that's another thing that if there's anything that I would kind of uh, criticize the episode about, I, I would have just liked the the planet that they go to to not feel so set like. Well, they um, went to Dagobah, right? That's basically what it looks like is that they went to Dagobah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that they go to a place that, you know, makes sense for the character of Trip. You know, again, he's from Florida. The idea of like, mm-hmm. you know, being lost on a planet that basically looks like the Everglades yeah. is fantastic. I just feel like the actual production value of it isn't great um and part of it's the lighting of the episode because Mm -hmm. there's the one main like spotlight like basically that's kind of creating this light over the the entire set i guess that's supposed to represent a sun or something but it it always just feels like a set instead of natural lighting Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's just something about it that just doesn't really work in mm-hmm. that sense. So, Well, the planet had one very important critical element to make the story work, which was a pond of muddy water that they could roll around in. Yes, yes. I mean, nothing screams release of sexual tension like rolling around in a pond of muddy water. Yeah. I mean, imagine if this had been a desert planet, if they had gone to Tatooine instead of Dagobah. I mean, there's nothing less sexy than sand. I mean, it's yeah. rough, it's coarse, it's she irritating, would be it like, gets everywhere. She would be like, Trip, get off of me, you're chafing, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, <laughs> um, so well, let's talk about Padma a little bit, because... One of my biggest criticisms of this episode over the years, and I know I shouldn't be critiquing people's acting because I'm not an actor and I could not do any better, but I've always felt like Padma's acting in this episode pulls me out of the story because it's so cardboard a lot of the time. But over the years, as I've watched the episode, I've kind of gotten used to it. And then now when I watch it, I start looking at how it fits into the story and how it perhaps makes the story work. And at the beginning, she and Tripp cannot talk to each other because he can't find the universal translator. And so she's speaking her language to him, which is a a rather harsh sounding language. And then when she switches to English, the fact that her delivery is so just cardboard, like someone trying to read lines off of a page, off of a script, maybe kind of mirrors if you think about someone who's speaking a foreign language and the the cadences and the, the sounds of their own language are coming through in the other language that they're trying to speak. Maybe it mm-hmm. works a little bit. I see. I've always just kind of taken it that you know because she is training to be the first monarch, mm-hmm. there is this kind of regalness in mm. the way that 
a character like that speaks, kind of like, um, you know, uh, Padme in the first Star Wars, uh, you know, episode one, where she has a, a very, like, regal, and it and it sounds slightly monotone or whatever, um, but it's, it's more of that, like, official voice of the queen sound, yeah. you know, and I think one of the things you kind of get as the episode progresses is that slowly gets less and less, um, and so she becomes kind of, like, more fully herself you do get you know, it like a little she's bit able to, yeah yeah so um to me that's just something that i find uh you know really works actually in the performance for me and instead of being a detriment because it made sense for the character mm-hmm. um and so yeah i i that i never really in, struggled with that personally mm-hmm. and i think that's probably one of the reasons that the episode worked for me and it didn't maybe work for others because they can't see past that point for themselves. Well, I think it depends. Well, I think you're right. And I've started feeling that way when I watch it as well. Like she does loosen up a bit as the episode goes in terms of pronunciation, speech pattern, and and be starting to feel like she's an actress instead of a model mm-hmm. reading lines but i think it depends on how many times you watch the episode because if you've only watched this episode once i think it's very easy for you to go what what was that like that that's so it's such a contrast between her and the other actors that we normally get on star trek especially at this point in star trek's history where the the actors uh tended to be very good, in my opinion, and many of them, most of them had stage training, and many of them had Shakespearean mm-hmm. training as well. But then, if you watch it a few more times, maybe you start to ease up. And if you're like you and me, and you've probably watched the episode thirty or forty times over the years, <laughs> then you really start to see how the nuances might contribute to the story. So, I I think that. If it requires many, many rewatches for you to start to warm up to something, then probably creatively it doesn't work in its mm. in its yeah. execution. And fans can always find a way to kind of fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. But I think your points yeah. about her like being a monarch and having a certain speech pattern and all, uh, it makes perfect sense. And... Definitely, if you watch the episode with that in mind, the story Mm -hmm. will work far better for you. Yeah, I I think, you know, again, it's kind of to me about the what the episode was was given me. And I really just it it clicked in my brain. And and again, it might not work for everyone, but it it does work for me. And uh, so, yeah, I really appreciated um you know, how they work with that. Um, and I, I think it's funny because, you know, we've mentioned the fact that people behind the scenes just did not like this episode. You know, the writers and and, and Brandon Braga thinking this is the worst Star Trek episode ever. And it's like, have you ever seen Spock's brain? Because, um, <laughs> you know, there are worse profit and lace. I mean, there are worse Star Trek episodes. Uh, so this episode has a bit in common with especially Spock's brain in that 
it is entertaining to watch, even if you think it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and so, like, I, I find it funny that people would be so harsh on this episode when, in, in reality, I, I, like, what, I, I, I guess I struggle. Like, well, I'm not sure what there is to hate in, in this episode <laughs> when it's just, it's fun, it's light, yeah. and, and, you know, and you get, I think, a chance to enjoy a fun romp with the characters in, in a way that, like, I'm not having to have the characters be outside of themselves mm-hmm. uh, to have a fun episode. Like, everybody's getting to play in character, except for, I mean, you know, you get the opportunity to have, um, to Paul and Archer put on a little bit of theater. Yes. Uh, so that they can get this character, this alien to give them what they need so they can actually track down uh trip in the first place, yeah. which uh, to me, again, that's one of those things where it's like, that's a small moment where the character to Paul, you can see just how far she's come yes. with these characters and the fact that she would play this game with them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to bring this up in a little while, but this is an element of the story that I tend to forget about over time until I watch the episode again. Because I always think about the the great escape, the space mm-hmm. balls kind of, of story with Trip and Kaitama. But I love, especially on this rewatch, after you and I have spent the past few months talking so much about the growth of T'Pol as a character, Archer as a character, and the two of them growing together in their friendship and their respect for one another. This time when I watched it and I got to this part, I thought, wow, they could have not pulled this off a year earlier together, but here they work so well together, the good cop, bad cop, you've got to pull. And you have to assume that these aliens, they don't know anything about Vulcans. You, you I kind of think they would have met Vulcans at some point, but it seems like they're perfectly willing to accept that this is how Vulcans behave and that T'Pol has this authority. And T'Pol, I mean, the way Jolene Blaylock plays this is so wonderful. How much do you weigh? What's your height? It's it's brilliant. And it's it's just an unexpected side of T'Pol. And I love that they were able to put that in this episode, which if you just pluck that out and you don't think about anything else in the story, it's a great milestone in the Archer to Paul growth uh, journey together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it just really fits uh, with what we've been seeing uh, throughout season two so far for the character. And it, it does show you the way in which Paul as a character is willing to place herself in the midst of this crew and do what needs to be done in the same way that any crew member would. And, you know, you mentioned the idea of like them not, maybe you you'd think they would run into the Vulcans, but at the same time, like we, we also know from the Vulcans of this time period, they're not really explorers. Mm, true. You know, they're not out there, you know, so they kind of, tend to stay in their lane uh, in the sense that, you know, that in, in their area of space and they don't really seem to 
travel much outside of that. And even if they do and when they do, they're not really into like meeting people. <laughs> you know, they they like they're they're mm-hmm. perfectly fine to let their sensors do the work. And so or hide know, I, in I the woods, build a fire. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think um, I think for the most part that 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 part doesn't really bother me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this is. I just, it just, I just find it funny that people just really just dislike this episode so much. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure people will tell us in the Babel conference exactly what they hate about it. But to me, it's well, just, it's good, clean fun. Yeah. So, well, let's come back to that as maybe one of the last things we talk about here. So, David A. Goodman wrote the episode. It was the first episode that he had written for Star Trek, it was the first one hour installment of television that he had written. And so he admits that he was kind of learning the ropes of writing in that format as well as writing for Star Trek. And he calls the episode a piece of crap, which don't worry, Matthew, that's not going to be the title of this podcast, but that's what (laughs) David A. Goodman called it. And then, as you mentioned earlier, Brandon Braga has called it on the Blu-ray extras, one of the worst episodes of Star Trek ever. And even at one point tried to get Rick Berman to not air the episode because he felt it was so bad. Now, I don't know if there are any fans that view it in such harsh terms. I think maybe there are. I think people who don't like it probably just think, eh, that was not a very good episode. But not like, wow, you know, they could have killed the franchise with this outing. What were they thinking? I don't really think people feel that way. But What I want to say is that as a creative professional, as a writer, as an editor, I I can maybe see how Brandon Braga is looking at it, Rick Berman, David Goodman looking at it in that they set out to write something and it just isn't quite working. So they start tweaking it. And sometimes when you start tweaking something and maybe tweak is... It doesn't fully describe the kind of of reworking that was going on here. But sometimes you just kind of create a bigger mess of something because you keep trying to change it. You think you're going to get it all to come together and it never does. And you start to feel like, this is just not up to my standard as a creative. And so I really don't like what I've put together here. And in the context of these 26-episode Star Trek seasons, as we sometimes talk about, you've got to get something on the screen. You're contractually obligated to put 26 stories out there. And so you have to keep going with it, and you have to produce it, and you put it out there, and you look back at it, and you feel like, I wish my name weren't attached to that. And I think that maybe that's how they started feeling over time, looking back at their own work. And we've talked about this before too, and maybe not during this rewatch, but years ago, like when the Enterprise Blu-rays first came out, there was like the Brandon Braga apology tour. Do you remember this? Where he's, if you listen to him talking on the extras, Mm -hmm. it's a lot in there. But then also conventions and other times when he was talking, there was a lot of, yeah, I'm kind of sorry about Enterprise and the things that happened mm-hmm. there. And that also plays into what I'm describing, where like over time you look back at your work and you feel like, 
that right. wasn't quite up to the standards of what I normally produce or what I want to produce. And so anyway, I think that plays in a lot to the perception of this episode from the producer's side. And maybe it bleeds through to the fan side a little bit in part because fans love to, it's like the, these are the voyages, for example. Yeah, it's not a great episode, but it's not as bad as fans make it out to be. But there's <laughs> this this bandwagon of certain episodes are terrible, and maybe this one uh, falls into that category for some people. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I think you're you're absolutely right in the sense that there was a, a time when I felt like they were just kind of over-apologizing yeah. for things in Enterprise, you know, and... Uh, I don't think any of that was necessary. Again, if you're going to apologize for something, yeah, you can apologize for uh, these are the voyages, you know. Um, And I think that's an episode to which almost universally people understand, like, and and even the writers, yeah, we made a huge mistake. Uh, Mm -hmm. And good intentions, not the right, but yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, um, you know, I I totally get that. And, you know, it, it is interesting just because I, this is just, again, you watch through this episode and it, it's, it's, it's just kind of innocuous, right? It, 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 to me, it's like, oh, you can, it could not be your favorite episode, but I don't see what there really is to hate here because there's, there's nothing in it that to offend anyone, you know, like, it can be an episode you just completely forget and, or it can be an episode you just enjoy. And and to me, you know, I think one of the things that I've always liked about this episode is it just, it's one of those Star Trek episodes to which I can just watch and have a good time, pop it in anytime and enjoy watching it because it sits within the show in a way that just allows me to enjoy this episode with not really thinking about much else that's going on um, in the series. And, you know, that, TOS was very good about doing that with its episodes um, many a times. And then the, there are other episodes throughout, you know, each of the series that you can kind of just pull out and you can you can do that with, right? This is just one of those for me. And, and it, you know, uh, like I would say, um, we'll talk about it, you know, later on the season, but First Flight is another one mm-hmm. where it's just like, it's, it's an episode where I just, I could pop it in and watch it anytime because it's just a great episode of that series or you know like with this one where it's just fun and i i can just enjoy it without having to felt like oh i I needed to watch like three episodes before this too so i can really get the context you know so yeah yeah great well those sound like final thoughts so what's your rating for this one yeah i mean you know for me uh, i give this a good four out of five uh swamp things because uh it's um i just enjoy watching it i still enjoyed watching it again with this rewatch uh, i think it's a in it's a fun episode uh i think we even talked about you know it's got some great character moments and and building moments for somebody like to paul and archer's relationship we get to have some fun with with trip where he's just kind of thrown into this situation and he has to try and find them a way to make the best of it and well, uh, he definitely gets to make the best of it, uh, you know. So it's it's a lot of fun, and uh, I'm I'm always happy to rewatch this episode. So, Chris, I'm interested to see kind of where you end up, especially with your ratings now that you know you've been watching the episode for years, and it's kind of 
there's it's morphed a little bit in in what you think of it. Yeah, I uh, I don't know your thoughts pretty much mirror mine at this point. Although that wasn't always my view of the episode, as I said, I I won't say that I ever hated the episode. I don't really hate any Star Trek episodes, but I won't say that I ever truly disliked the episode. It just felt like, okay, well, there's an episode, and wow, couldn't they have found someone with better acting skills to play against Connor in this episode? But as I've said today, over time, I've come around to that, and uh, I've gotten over that, and now when I watch it, I look for ways that uh, the acting makes sense for the story, and it is just great fun to see Trip in this situation. It's that it's that great adventure, that kind of just fun uh, story that I remember from various things growing up. That I don't know. I feel like we don't see quite as much these days, especially not in Star Trek, because everything's become so serious all the time. So I love it for that, and. Yeah, and I keep finding these little gems in the episode that like strengthen the overall Enterprise journey for me, which is a great part of doing this rewatch. So it's still not way up at the top of my list or anything. It's uh, pro- probably down in the lower third, but I've enjoyed it a lot more this time. So I'm going to give it six seconds in suspended animation. Nice. All right, everyone, we are very curious to hear your thoughts on Precious Cargo. So please share those with us. There are many ways for you to do that. Perhaps the best way is to go to the Babel Conference on Facebook. That is our listeners group. If you're already a member, you know what to do. But if not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, and it should come right up. If not, type the whole name, the Babel Conference. You'll see a post on the timeline there. You can leave your comments for fellow listeners and me there. We can have a discussion beyond the podcast. Speaking of which, it's a closed group because of that. We want it to be an extension of the podcasts, not just another Facebook Star Trek group. So if you're joining for the first time, please do answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. If you'd like to send us email, you can do that as well. Just go to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Use the form you find there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5. And that will come right over to Matthew and me in that little pigs in space ship, which Trip and Kaitama took down to Dagobah. And if you'd like to chat with us in social media, you can find us under the username TrekFM everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, and we'd love to hear from you there. Also, if your podcast app of choice allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd love to get that as well. Now, Matthew, when you're not creating scarecrows of yourself to ward off, you know, the bad guys when you're hanging out in the swamp with your girlfriend, where can people find you? <laughs> well, uh, when I'm not doing that, Chris, so you could find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero. You can also find me here on the network. We've got a completely other side of the network called the 602 club where we talk about all of the fandoms we love not just one we've also got literary treks talking about the books and the comics of star trek chris you and i do the orb we talked about star trek deep space nine we've also got the artificial tango talking about star trek picard and we've got saddle up 
<laughs> talking about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And then if you're not tired of me, you can also find me over <laughs> on the Nerd Party Network where I did a completed show uh, with Dre Kaufman where he talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, doing aggressive negotiations with the Star Wars podcast with John Mills. But Chris, when you're not trying to find your way out of the swamp, where can people find you? <laughs> Yeah, you can find me elsewhere on the network, as you mentioned, doing the shows together with you, talking about all of those series. And also Larry Nemechek and I do The Ready Room from time to time. New episode came out recently, talking about the state of the franchise in 2022, and just running through all the modern series. And Matthew, you said, if if you're not tired of me yet... <laughs> about your shows. And it reminded me of about 10 years ago when I was doing like seven or eight podcasts every week, different podcasts, different shows. And there's a, a lot of discussion out there uh, with both of us. So I hope everyone will check that out. And if you'd like to chat with me about Star Trek or Japan or college football, which is about to kick off or whatever, I'd love to talk to you on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere, but Twitter is where I'm most active, and I'd love to hear from you there. And also, if you would like to help us keep this show and all the ones that we mentioned going, the whole network, we could really use your help. To find out how to support the network and get involved, please visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. We could really use your help. It takes a lot of money to produce and distribute these podcasts. And I want to say thank you to everyone who is supporting us right now. We would not be here without you. We wouldn't be able to keep this rewatch going. So if you're not supporting us, please consider doing so. We really could use your support. Well, Matthew, I hope you've got your sleeping bag and your iPad ready, you know, so you can watch some water polo because we're going to be hanging out in the catwalk next time. Well, Chris, I'm not sure that sounds great, but I guess let's go. Let's go.